And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. Into, into the circle maker again. Last week we talked about what it was like to pray, and we've been talking about Honey, the circle maker, how he prayed, and he drew a circle, and he got inside, and he said, I will not leave the circle until God sends rain. And uh, this morning I, I want to talk about what it means to pray hard. And this is your persistent quotient. A uh, young man went to a drugstore, and he had a, a date, a first date one night, and he went to the drugstore, and he bought three boxes of chocolate. Christian, I'm not sure how, if this is how you did it, but we'll, we'll pretend it's not how you did it. And so he goes in there, and the uh, drug his hands in the three boxes of chocolate. He goes, what's the chocolate for? And he goes, oh, I've got a great date tonight, first date. And if, if things go well and, and, and she's nice, I'm going to give her the small box of chocolate. If, if things go better and, and we hold hands, I'll give her the medium box of chocolate. But if we have a great night and she lets me smooch her at the end of the date, I'm going to give her the large box of chocolate. So they go over there and they're eating dinner and uh, at her house and they said, hey, would you mind praying? So the young man prays this beautiful prayer. I mean, he really got in tune with, with God. And after the dinner, the young lady looked at him. She goes, wow. I didn't know you were such a spiritual person. I didn't know you were so in tune with God. And he goes, yes, and I didn't know your dad was a druggist. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, praying hard and, and really being fervent about it, it may seem selfish, but really what it is is saying, you know what, I want to know the heart of God. I want to understand the heart of God. I want to lean into that, and I am not going to let, let go of the of the throne of God until something happens. We used to talk about when I was growing up in church called push prayers. Push prayers are praying until something happens. But it's that praying hard. And in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable. He said there was a judge in a certain city who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow in that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in the dispute of my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that just because that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't think that God will surely give justice to his children, to his chosen people who cry out to him all day and all night while he kept, he keep putting them off. 
Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will find the earth who have faith? That persistency. What did she keep doing? She kept going back. She kept going back. She kept going back. If you are parents of, of a young child, you know what it's like for them to ask you a question over and over and over again. You're like, would you stop asking? In our house, the boys will go to Terry and they'll ask her a question a couple of times. And when she goes, don't ask me again, I'm going to do this. They, they realize they come to me, especially they come to me and, I'm, and, and something really important is going on. Like a Denver Broncos football game that I will do anything to get them to leave me alone. They'll come up and say, Dad, I need you to buy me a new car. Fine. I'm buying a new car in the morning. Just go away. Leave me alone. And Terry's like, yeah. <laughs> All decisions made during a Broncos football game are not final. Sorry, Jack. But this, this parable, this persistent widow, she just kept going and going and going and going, and was wearing the judge out. The judge goes, I, I don't, first of all, he goes, hey, I don't care. I'm sorry you were slighted. I don't care. Leave me alone. She goes back and goes, hey, I just want you to know, these people paid for my campaign, so stop asking me. I'm not going to go after them. And she kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back, and finally he's like, okay, I've had it. This lady is driving me crazy. I've got to say yes. So many times we've heard of the, We've heard people tell us that we should pray about something. But I think in the Bible, Jesus encourages us to pray through a situation. Don't just pray to it, but pray through it. When I was younger, I, I had aspirations in, in, in sports, and I remember playing tennis with my friends, and, and, and I could beat them all in tennis. Not because I was great, it's because I was playing against people that were not that good. But I remember one time I, I was playing tennis with them and we were watching Andre Agassi after, after we played tennis and, and I looked at Corey and I said, you know, Corey, there's only one difference between Andre Agassi and me. And he goes, is it the long, beautiful, flowing hair? I go, no, it's not. I go, the difference is he doesn't hit the ball, he hits through the ball. So many times, the difference between being a great spiritual person for God, being a great leader in, in Christ, and being a great prayer, isn't just praying about something. It's just not praying to something, but it's praying all the way through and saying, you know, I'm going to see this to completion. I'm going to pray until something happens. I'm going to pray until God reveals to me that his will is such, and I need to stop praying about this, or I'm going to pray until God moves this. God, Jesus said to his people, he said, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed and said to this mountain, jump, and it jumps, that's all the faith you need. And we're like, wow, can we really make mountains jump? But he's telling us, don't just pray to something, pray through something. There's a, a sense of desperate prayer where you are just praying and you're desperate and saying, I am not going to stop until something happens. Have you ever had those moments of desperate prayer? I'm talking about those moments where you're just sitting there praying about something and saying, man, I, I need this, and God, I need you to move, and you're just desperate about it, saying, I, I'm not going to get up from the altar until I see this happen. And that's what God is calling us to, that desperate sense of prayer. 
my great-grandma was a, a, a woman of great prayer. And not only was she a woman of great prayer, but she assumed that God was deaf. And by that I mean she prayed very, very loud. And every one time we were over there and she was praying, you see my, they, they, had, they had four kids. And at the time when she was praying, only one of them was following Jesus and the other three weren't. And she was praying for the other three. At the time of her death, in 1989, she still only had one child that was following Jesus. But all of them came to faith in Jesus before they passed away. I look at it and you say, man, you prayed for close to 70 years for your family to come to faith in Jesus. And nothing happened. Just stop praying. That's not what she did. She prayed and prayed and prayed. When my, my grandma, who was also a prayer warrior, was I, was, I was visiting with her shortly before she passed away, and she was telling me the story about how her family became Christian. They were immigrants from Germany, and, and they were in America, and they were, they were in a new country and everything, and they started going to this church. And my grandma had a sister that got really sick, had some type of fever, and it was a type of fever that, that just killed infants. And she's laying there on, on, her, on her dad's lap, and she's three years old, and she had been going to this church, had given her life to Jesus, and was excited about Jesus. And she looked up at him, and she said, Papa, if you don't ask Jesus in your life, you'll never see me again, because I'm going to die, and I'm going to go to heaven. And you're not. And she goes, Papa, if you want to see me again, you've got to ask Jesus in your life. When you ask, Mark, is children's ministry really that important? Is youth ministry really that important? Can I tell you something? It's changed four, now five generations of my family's life. Because a little girl sat on her dad's lap and said, Papa, you need to ask Jesus in your life. That, that's the power of prayer when we come back to it is the question is how desperate are for you for God to answer prayer? How desperate are you? Are you saying, I am not going to move from this spot. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to pray until something happens. And when God moves, then I will know that God is the God of action, God, the God of activity, the God that does great things. We, we look at prayer sometimes, we look at God moving, and we want God to move in big, enormous ways. But then I look at Elijah in the Old Testament, and Elijah was depressed because he just went and had this prayer battle with the prophets of Baal, and, and God answered in fire, and they won. And you'd be thinking, wow, Elijah should be excited, and Elijah was not excited because the queen said, hey, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you, which is never a good thing to hear. So he goes to a cave, and God did a couple things for him. God said, go to sleep. He goes, and then he said, eat something. You're not yourself when you're hungry. So he took a nap, and he ate, and he got up, and God, and, and, and God said, I want you to come to the mouth of the cave. And he came to the mouth of the cave, and there was an earthquake. 
And the earth rumbled, but God was not in the rumbling of the earth. There was a fire that came, and it split the mountain, but God was not in the fire. There was all these great, big, fantastic things, but God wasn't in it. And then there was a still, small voice, and God was in the still, small voice. How desperate are you to hear from God? Are you desperate enough to pray day and night? Are you desperate enough to, to knock on the gates of heaven? Are you desperate enough to, to change your schedule to, to pray to God? See, the first thing you have to do is pray until you get an answer. In standardized math tests, Japanese children consistently score higher than American counterparts. While some assume that natural proclivity toward mathematics is a primary difference, researchers have discovered that, <clears throat> sorry, that has more to do with effort than ability. The Japanese students were willing to put in the effort where the American students, after a short period of time, would say, I give up. I give up. Have you ever been around people who give up too easy? When Terry and I first got married, I, I'm not naturally someone who works well with my hands. And, and so there, there'd be a project to do at the house. I'm like, oh, great. I got to get underneath the sink. I got to figure this out. And this is before YouTube. Now that YouTube is coming around, I can fix everything in the house. In fact, I'm going to go home today. I'm going to rewire the entire house because I learned how to do it on YouTube. <laughs> I'm not going to do that for anybody who's worried about our house blowing up. I'm not going to do that. But I remember we were doing something, and I said, I just can't, I can't do it. You call someone in. I, I stop, and she goes, wow. Are you always going to quit so easy? I go, it depends on how tough it is. <laughs> Sometimes the, the answer comes to us. Sometimes the solution comes five minutes after we naturally wanted to give up. We're saying, I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to surrender. I'm done with this. And then the answer's right there. God says, I, I've got a solution. I've got an answer. More is going to happen. The, the Japanese students, they were willing to work longer at a mathematical project than the American students were. How many times in our lives would we admit that we, we quit short? I, I ran track in high school, and, and uh, I'm encouraging my older son his senior year to run track his last year, and I said, hey, I will come up and I will coach you. And if for some reason that doesn't like entice him to want to be coached or want me to coach him, but I remember my senior year, and I, I went to high school in Montana, and our first track meet of the year was always about 2,000 feet higher than where my high school was. Just to let you know, at that great of a, a distance, a difference, when you're running an open 400, your lungs literally feel like they are on fire. And I remember I stopped short of the finish line, because I was coming in second, the guy in third was far enough behind me, it didn't matter, walked across and fell on the ground, 
And then I was huffing and puffing, and I was getting ready to blow the house down. My dad, who denies this story, but it's true, came on the track, lightly kicked me, and said, we don't quit before we finish. And I'm thinking to myself, we, I didn't see you out here running. And he said, next time, stop after you cross the finish line. And, and sometimes spiritually, we stop before the finish line. We stop short and we say, man, I, I, I just don't know if I can go any further. We're in the habit of, of when, when life is hard, when, when things are difficult, of saying, I just give up. I, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. Keep asking. But if I haven't seen anything yet, keep asking. Keep looking, keep seeking because you'll, you'll find it. But I haven't seen it yet, but just keep right on looking. Keep knocking until someone comes and opens the door. You guys ever heard of the term man eyes? Man eyes is when a guy walks into a closet and says, I can't find it, walks out. The wife comes out five minutes later and goes, Wait, here's your shoes. At our house, we have boys' eyes. They'll walk into their bedroom and like, oh, I can't find it, Mom. It's, it's gone. It's, I have no clue what happened to it. Alien abduction, I'm not sure. Terry walks in, comes out, goes, here you guys go. At, at, at church... We have a uh, copy closet, which is known as the living nightmare. You walk in there, and everything in, in mankind is stored at some place in that, in that closet. And Kenneth and I walk in, they like, I can't find it. And then Ashley walk in there, and she goes, hey, guys, I found it for you guys. <laughs> we, we have this short throw projector that we use when we do outdoor movies and stuff, and, and we want to show movies in the gym. And I walked into the copy room, and I said, hey, Kenneth, did we use the short throw projector at Vacation Bible School? Because it's not in the copy room. I can't find it. And he walks in and he goes, I don't know where it is. I can't find it anywhere. Well, we'll have to ask somebody and see if somebody borrowed it. We just can't find it anywhere. And I'm sitting at my desk, and I have a credenza behind my desk, and I rotate my chair around, and what would be sitting in plain sight on my credenza? A short throw projector. I'm like, wow! And I know in my heart of hearts, that God found it and put it there just for me. <laughs> keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep looking over and over and over again, harder and harder and harder. Don't stop until you experience what God is doing for you. If you've been with us on this journey, you know the story of the promised land and how God had, had said, hey, I want you in this building, and how the doors kept closing, and we kept walking around it, and godly men came around me to whisper in my ear and say, Mark, give up on it. Why don't you go do this? Why don't you go look at this? Why don't you go do this? And I kept saying, but, but God's calling us there, and I, I sensed this calling, and, and they're like, are you sure God's calling you? Are you sure this isn't just a Mark thing? And it could be a Mark thing, because sometimes Mark gets stuck on something, and Mark can't get off of something. And so, I'm like, no, I know he has. And every time that I was about ready to give up on it, something would happen, and God would say, no, I, I still called you here. 
In our lives at times, there, there, there are moments where God is calling us into a sense. God is calling us deeper. God's calling us to follow him. God's calling us to step out in faith. And he said, I just want to know, are you going to pray until something happens? A couple weeks ago, I told you about the story of George Mueller, who was a, a prayer warrior and had an orphanage in England. And it was not a government-funded orphanage. It was by private donations only. And he woke up one morning, and they came to him. They said, uh, Mr. Mueller, there is no food at all in the orphanage, and breakfast is in half an hour. What do you want us to do? He said, gather all the boys. Bring them into the cafeteria. Sit them down at the tables. And they're like, Okay. And he stood up and he gave thanks for the food. And everybody's like, all right, there's no food. About that time, there was a knock at the door. The local town baker said, I'm not sure what happened because I woke up early this morning, started making bread, realized that I made way too much bread for the day. And I felt that God wanted me to come and see if you guys needed any bread. So they brought bread in. And they get all the bread out of the tables. About that time, there's another knock at the door. They go back to the door. It was a local milkman. And as he was on his milk route that morning, his cart broke down, and they had to get rid of the milk before it spoiled. And he said, hey, we know that you have an orphanage. Could you use any of the milk? He said, okay. The door kept knocking, and people kept delivering food all day long. You see, being a man of faith, ask this question, how desperate are you? Romans 12, 12 says, rejoice in our common hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Don't stop praying. Keep on keeping on. The next thing we see is that we should be praying desperately. She was so desperate for God to move that she kept going back, and her desperation moved her, and it moved the needle of her life. In Philippians 4, 6, and 7, it said, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Pray about everything. If you're worried about something, pray about it. Give it over to God. Say, God, here you go. Pray about everything. How desperate are you in your prayer? Jim Cimbala is a pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. In 1972, he was asked to, to go to this church as a part-time pastor, and he was pastoring another church in New Jersey. The other church in New Jersey was a little bit larger, had more money, could actually pay him a full-time salary. The one in Brooklyn, he, he said, was a hot mess. Because he walked in there, there were broken pews, there were broken pipes in the bathroom, there was paint peeling off the wall, they had some type of curtain up that was all in the show. He said it was a nightmare. And he tried as hard as he could for the first three weeks to get moved out of that church and say, I, I need to get out, I need to get out, I need to get out. And one day as he was on a ferry in, in New York City, God spoke to me and said, I want you to quit pastoring the church in New Jersey and only pastor the church in Brooklyn. <laughs> and he's like, there's no way. The church in New Jersey pays my salary. The church in New York does nothing for me. The church in New, New Jersey takes care of my family. The church in Brooklyn does nothing for me. And God says, do you believe in me or don't you? Now the Brooklyn Tabernacle, the church of over 6,000 members, 
They, 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 they have stories of male and female prostitutes being led to Christ and transforming their lives. They have stories of God coming in and completely healing people of, of sin that everyone said, it's just the way you are and don't worry about it. And they're like, no, no, that's not the way I am because God has created me in his image and in the image of God, I must grow and I must seek out his presence and their lives are being completely transformed. Not only that, his wife who has zero musical training started a choir. Now I have zero musical training as well. But God has not called me to start a choir. You're welcome. But the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir has performed all over the world and has blessed people all over the world because God was in it. If you were to go back to Jim Symbol, and I'm sure God didn't put it all out there in front of him and say, hey, if you, if you follow me, this is what's going to happen. But he just knew that God was saying, do you trust me? And that first step of faith. And look at what's happened since me. Since then. Jen Simbola said this, God can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. How desperately do you need God? How desperate do you need him? The third thing is that we are to pray God's promises. Do we read in the Bible and you see a promise of God, just circle it and say, you know what, God, I'm praying this promise. I'm, I'm praying, God, that you're going to lead. I'm praying, God, that you won't forgive me. I'm praying, God, that you won't forget about me, that you'll always be there. In John 15, 78, it said, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. There's this brings great glory to my Father. Think about what it means just simply to pray God-honoring prayers. To read in the Bible and say, you know, God made this promise and God made that promise. When Honey drew that circle and he got inside of his praying for rain, he said, I will not move from here until God answers my prayer. When Gypsy Smith, who is an evangelist from England, would draw a circle, he'd go to a town, he'd hold revival, he'd draw a circle, he'd get in there and he'd pray, he says, I will not move from here until the Spirit of God falls in my life, until I experience personal revival. We read in the Bible and we see how God moves and how God pours out his spirit. We say, man, I want to see that happen. We look at Elijah when he challenged the 400 prophets of Baal. And it's a great story. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18. You, you should read it sometime because it's really funny. And by funny, I mean, if you want to know the background story, text me and say, hey, Mark, what's the background story to this? I'll tell you and you will start laughing. So I'm going to tell it to you. Elijah goes up to the, the king and queen, and they're evil people, and he says, hey, I've got a contest from God. We're going to have a pray-off. And he says, what we're going to do is we are going to build two altars on there, and we're going to put sacrifice on there, and we're going to pray about it. And whatever God answers in fire, that is the true God of Israel. Pretty cool pray-off, right? And he said, hey, the prophets of Baal, you, you guys can go first. I, 
I'm more of an afternoon guy. I'm more of an evening guy. I'll let you guys go first. That way I can get a nap in the morning while I'm waiting for God to answer your prayers. And so they get out there, and they, they start dancing around the altar, and they start praying, and they start doing all these things, and nothing happened. And here's where it gets really fun. Elijah starts, starts heckling him. And he says, maybe your God is on the toilet. Maybe you need to pray louder. So funny. I mean, if you've ever wanted to trash talk in your entire life, Elijah's your man. And they start praying all the louder, and, and he's like, maybe he's busy, maybe he's away, maybe he can't hear it. So then they start cutting themselves and start bleeding because they believe that, that their blood would signal for their God to answer in prayer, and still nothing happened. Now Elijah looks at his watch, and he taps, and he goes, hey guys, or sundial probably back then. He says, hey guys, I, I've got supper plans tonight, and, and your God hasn't answered do you mind if I get a shot? And he goes, by the way, this is way too easy. So I am going to douse my sacrifice, my wood, with water. In fact, we're going to build a trench around it, and we're going to fill up. We're going to get everything so wet. We're going to fill up the trench around it with water. And then I'm going to pray to God and ask him to answer. And then, in a less than 60-second prayer, Elijah prays to God and says, God, would you honor me right now and yourself? Let there be no doubt in all Israel who God is and send fire. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, burns up all the water around it, joy in the land. People are leaping and celebrating except for one problem. Queen Jezebel was so mad. She goes, Elijah, next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. I am going to cut your head off. It had not rained in, a year for, in the land for three and a half years. And here's the cool part. Elijah said, it's going to rain again now. And he sent his servant out to look on the hillside. And six times the servant went out there and said, hey, there's not a cloud in the sky. On the seventh time, he comes back and he said, Elijah, there's a cloud, but it's only the size of a man's fist. And then Elijah wrapped up his, his tunic, which was long, flowing robe, and he ran so he would beat the floods. Because God not only answered in rain, but he answered with more rain than they'd seen in a long time. We, we look at what it, what it means for Elijah, and he was praying, and he said, man, we need to see God happen. God, I need to see your presence. And when you answer, you're also going to send rain. Growing up in church... There was a saying that we used to hear, and it was, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. We used to have popcorn testimonies, and people would get up all the time, and they'd say, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But I think we could use that for our, cir our circle series by saying, God said it, I've circled it, and that settles it. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, it said, For all, the, all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And though Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Joshua 1.3 says, I promise you what, what, Moses, what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, he, you will be on land I have given you. 
those promises. He said, when you go into the promised land, everywhere you set your foot, that will be the land that I have promised you. How desperate are you for God to speak? How desperate are you for God to move? Mark Patterson said, it's easy to give up on dreams, give up on miracles, give up on promises. We lose heart, lose patience, lose faith, and it's like a slow leak. It often happens without us even knowing until our prayer life gets flat. What is the context of a prayer? What lies behind God answering prayers? Sometimes we're saying, well, you know, Mark, I, I've been desperate before and I've prayed and God's told me no. How do I deal with that? Sometimes when you're, you're praying for things and you're, you're, you're desperate for something, you're saying, well, why is God telling me no? And I want you to know sometimes what we assume is God's no is God's not yet. And we keep getting frustrated. So God, I'm praying for this. And you keep saying no. You keep closing doors. You keep closing doors. But you've put it on my heart to pray for this. And sometimes God's saying, just not yet. But the yes is just around the corner. And I wonder how many times in our lives we hear not yet. And we say, well, God closed the door on me. I guess I'm done. Before I was in ministry, I worked in sales. And when you do cold call sailing, cold call selling, you should not go out in the cold and sail. It's not fun. When you do cold call selling, for every one yes you hear, you hear 19 no's. You've got to be willing to hear no, 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 no. And if you're keeping tab of them, you get up to about 15 no's, you start getting excited. Man, the yes is just around the corner. Oh, I can't wait. They're going to say yes. And then when they say yes, you're like, woo, made a sale. They're like, oh, crap, I've got 19 more no's to come. <laughs> can, I, can I say crap from the pulpit? Is that approved? <laughs> I'm sorry if I offended you. But you hear those no's, and, and so many times, even in our prayer life, when it, when it seems like God is closing a door, we're like, but sometimes what he's really saying is, not yet. You see, in our journey to the promised land, Way back when, I remember when God first put the dream, and it wasn't even on my heart, it was before I even got here, that we were going to outgrow the building on Brookfield and move here, or move someplace else. Here wasn't even, even on the radar yet. People were praying and doors were being closed. And I remember several other properties coming open. I'm like, well, maybe that's the property. And the door would close. I'm like, okay, that wasn't the property. We, we had to experience people who had the dream who never actually saw it come to reality because they're in heaven right now. We had 
three people who, who, who walked the whole journey with us and were able to see us walk in the promised land. We had Carla, and we had Gary, and we had Margaret. And there were times where it seemed tough. We're like, how are we going to do this? And we just kept praying, and we kept praying, and we kept praying. And, and there were times where we were frustrated, I was frustrated, people around me were frustrated. And Margaret would say, well, you know, it's up to God, it's not up to us. And I, I so much want to look at Margaret and go, would you stop it? Just cut it out. Not in a mean way. I mean, she was like my mom. She was like a mom to me. But to have that faith to say, you know, we're just going to continue to pray about this. Continue to pray about it. How persistent is your prayer life? And what promises do you need to pray over? Are you willing to spend, I'm not just talking about hours in prayer. I'm talking about years in prayer, praying over something. Terry brought up a, a great point last night. I completely forgot about this until she, she talked about it last night. In January of 2011, we were at a Wesleyan pastor's convention, and the guest speaker was Mark Batterson. It, it was before I even knew that he wrote books, before I even knew he was a pastor, and, and he spoke. And he told us a story that his church was in Washington, D.C., wanted to start a coffee house, a coffee house ministry. And they, they picked out a, a, a piece of land that was right across from the, uh, the judicial, judicial offices, and he goes, and it was coming up for sale. Actually, it was going to be coming up for auction. And so he started to, to walk circles and pray around it. And he goes, you see this piece of property that God put on our heart to, to walk circles and pray around? It was a former crack house. And when you're in Washington, D.C., and you are walking circles around a former crack house, the security guards at the judicial offices start looking at you, wondering... Who you are and what are you doing? Why are you casing the joint? And he said, but God finally opened up all the doors and they were able to buy it less than what the market value was on it, restore it, and there's Ebenezer's Coffee House there right now. And he, he told the story how ironic it was. He was sitting in there, he was drinking a latte because his office is upstairs, and he came down, he's drinking a coffee. He's sitting next to Wolf Blitzer, who was on CNN at that time, and he's looking up and watching on CNN, Wolf Blitzer. And he's like, you're there, you're there, you're there, you're there. We hear that story. Terry was working for another company in town, and her, jo her job had transferred from, from being in marketing to being in business sales. And like I mentioned before, being in sales is so much fun, but Terry did not find it as fun. Not sure why. And so she had heard that Pioneer Technology Center was hiring. And so she goes, you know what? We need to go up there. We need to drive, start driving circles around that building and praying for it. And the position they were hiring for was not a position that really suited Terry, but she wanted, she did not want to be in sales anymore. She goes, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. She had a conversation. We just couldn't do it. And she was disappointed to call up there and say, you know, I, I can't accept this position and I'm sorry about it. She got off the phone and she looked at me, and she goes, man, 
I wanted to work there. We just couldn't swing it with, with what she needed to make and what they were offering her. And someone called her up and said, Terry, we, we couldn't tell you this, but there's coming a position that's going to be coming open in about three to four months, and we would like you to apply for that position because we think you would be great for it. And he, you see, up to this, Terry had sent her resume out to other companies and, and got some callbacks, didn't get some callbacks, and, and, was, and was told you're not the right person for the job. And, but she kept going back, and she goes, you know, we're, we're praying around this, praying around this, praying around this. And she got the job. Total answer to prayer of circling it. And I, I believe in your life, maybe there's circles you're, you're circling. Maybe as a parent, you, you just walk in your kid's room at night and you, and you start walking circles around their bed or if their bed's up against the wall, you just walk in there and, and you pray over them while they're asleep. Maybe if you have a, a young infant child, you just sit there and you, you walk around the crib. Even if they're not in the crib, you just walk around and just pray over that room. Pray that the Spirit of God would be there. Maybe you're the parent and you're praying over your kids, saying, God, I just want you to move in their lives. One last story and we'll, we'll finish. The Wesleyan Church had a tremendous giant in it called David Holdren. And he became one of our, at the time we had three general superintendents, he became one of our three general superintendents. And he resigned and stepped down so that he could take care of his family. His wife's husband committed suicide in their basement. And he said, I just need to go and take care of my family. And he resigned. And, and I remember he was at our district conference. It was one of his last conferences before. <laughs> that would have really been difficult, right? You know, so many popped in my mind, and I'm going to try to get back on track. <laughs> His wife's husband is fine, by the way. He's a great man of God. <clears throat> His daughter's husband had committed suicide, and he was he was at our district district conference. It was one of the last conferences he had before he was leaving, and we gathered around and prayed. But I remember he stood up just to talk to us after we prayed over him. And, and through the brokenness of what life is, he talked about how they were a part of a small group in a Sunday school, and they were on a 24-hour vigil where someone would just drive and park in front of the house, not knock on the door, not intrude their, not invade their privacy, but just park in front of the house and pray for that family. They, they had these one-hour vigils, and when they would leave, another car would come, and that was their, they would flash their lights at one another at, at night to let them know, hey, I'm here, you can leave, you can go. And he goes, you know, as a father, to see people who are praying over your kids like that. You never realize how important that is. And I want you guys to know, we don't take the place of parents, but we are your biggest cheerleaders. And we pray over your kids. And I know Kenneth prays over your kids. And he invests in them because he loves them. 
But sometimes we've got to pray hard, don't we? Would you join me in prayer? Dear God, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would just pour out grace and mercy upon us as we, we learn to pray, God, as we lean in your presence and as we pray for you to move. Lord, I just pray that, that great things would take place spiritually for us, God, that we would draw close to you and that our lives would be transformed. And I just pray right now, God, that you would be with our students, be with our teachers, be with our support staff, be with all of our people that are inside the schools. May they be filled with your Holy Spirit. May, God, they find ways to encourage students and lift them up. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. We are a church, connected church, by His own Yeah.